Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the new Jen Green show, starring the new Jen Green. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Jen Green podcast. Tonight, you are here with your host, well, with your co-host, Johnny, and then my other wonderful co-hosts, Jenny and Chelsea. Today, we are going to be talking a lot about water. And on top of that, today we are going to be recording through a different way. So hopefully this episode won't be cast into the fires of oblivion. Without further ado, here are, I don't know, I just collapsed on that one. You can learn. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. ask I'm gonna ask you guys a pun. So Chelsea, what are you doing today after uh, this podcast? You get it? W- water? Hilarious today. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, this is kind of like the energy I needed. I've had, what, I'm like into week three or four of my classes. And we just got back on campus and it it didn't get easier. Uh, It turns out I actually procrastinated a fair bit (laughs) and I'm already near a quarter done with my semester and there's a lot I need to do. So yeah, I'm 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 in a world of fun right now. Uh, so that that is my update since we haven't like recorded since January. Uh, how about my other uh, fellow facilitators? It's been busy at my work. It's like our busy season now. Um, for those of you who don't know, I work in real estate and. Uh, I'm not like a real estate agent myself, but I work with real estate agents um, and it's our busy time of the year. So I've been busy with that. What about you, Chelsea? School. I feel it, Johnny. We're finally back in person. It did not get easier. <laughs> I am way behind. I have procrastinated and it's not good. But it's fine. We just tell ourselves as college students, it's fine. We'll get through it. It'll be okay. I used to take lots of naps in college, so I feel bad. Oh, and by the way, um, I mentioned this in the group chat before we get started, but I wrote a essay back in 2018 when I was still in college about water scarcity and whether or not local and state uh, legislatures have been doing enough to preserve water in California. And surprise, surprise, I'm gonna argue, well, I did argue and I'm going to argue today that they still haven't been doing enough to preserve water. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, As as an Indiana hick, uh, my understanding of water laws and stuff are a completely acquired taste for me. So it's going to be interesting to see how how professional Californians do it. But um, (laughs) before we get into this, I kind of want to start with a lighter tone. All of us are extremely tired and and all of us are feeling that little bit of burnout. 
so uh, I am not the smartest person in the world. What? Okay. <laughs> and so I kind of splurge whenever I have my phone bill renewed every month because that's when I have all of my data and I get the cheapest plan. Then I use it in like two weeks and then I'm done for like two weeks. But are y'all familiar with this one TikTok and it's just staying in my brain? But uh, I, I've, I've shared this around too many times, but this, it's this guy. This is completely unrelated to the water stuff, but we'll get to it. But I kind of feel like I need to do the Willem Dafoe impression with it too. And it's like, uh, what a... Uh, you know what, just cut this out. We're not going to leave this on the episode. We're fine. It was like, uh, it was like, you know what, I just need to pull it up because I'm not going to cut this out now. I've spent too much time on this. You kind of know what I'm talking <laughs> about, Chelsea? No, what is, I have no idea. <laughs> I've seen a lot of TikToks, so I probably okay. have come across it. Okay, okay. No, it's that one guy who made the stupid video and then MGM's TikTok account reposted it with actual clips from like 2000 Spider-Man. Now I know what I was going to talk about. So, so it's this copy pasta and someone said so. And, and here's the Willem Dafoe voice. So there was a quirked up white boy with a little bit of swag, busted <laughs> down, sexual style. <laughs> is he goaded with the sauce? And this has just been in my head all day. So I showed this uh, to my partner recently. And it's hilarious because this dude has never seen any of the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> And I just showed him the scene. I was like, this is a real scene from Spider-Man? And I was like, yeah, totally, bro, totally. So uh, I'd like to imagine that was one of Sam Raimi's deleted scenes. But that's going to be in his head forever. That's all he's going to associate with Spider-Man now, being goaded with the sauce. Now, now that we have that out of the way, I feel way more comfortable to talk in front of a, in front of a camera. So basically, wait, can I share something that's been living in my head rent free? Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this isn't as fun as the Spider-Man stuff, but the Tinder swindler on Netflix has been living in my head rent free ever since I've watched it. It's, it's I crazy. need to watch it. I really need to watch it. it Everyone like says it's amazing. Creeper, creeper catfish man. In Europe, yeah. Oh, oh, fun. I bet you have a lot to say about that, Jenny. Oh, I do. In fact, uh, I just casually checked my Facebook because I posted uh, something about it on my Facebook profile. And someone commented saying um, he has no remorse for the women. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I laid out my argument saying like, you, look, I, I, I do have remorse for the women just because like of X, Y, Z. And the only person to blame is the guy who lied and was just a complete scumbag. 
and like I get like there was like red flags that they should have been aware of but the way that he kind of sprinkled those red flags like they thought it was a prey that's that's what they thought so uh yeah it's been living in my head rent free so after after this I'm gonna see what his comment is and maybe it's like respectful conversation but it's still like it's it's you also want to punch the person because <laughs> the stupidest takes on something welcome to my life <laughs> yeah. we should do an episode on catfishing that yes. would be good because young adults face that you know there's warning signs we could talk about oh my mm-hmm. god be interesting maybe uh maybe i can have the thumbnail be like a little cat fit like the <laughs> animal catfish but in like a dress or something that'll be perfect <laughs> <sighs> done and done well that's another thing i swear we'll get to the water topic but i'm really starting to think that i was the best person uh possible to to do all the thumbnail artwork because i'll just put memes on there mm-hmm. and 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 people love it so i'm i'm really really glad that my my expertise uh has got to has been appreciated so before we drag this along like it's the holiday special um would one of you please give me a basic rundown on on like the statistical parts of water in california do you want me to do it yeah yeah, if you want to yeah go for it got some good stats sounds good so there's the statistics that I know uh, Johnny wrote down in our little cheat sheet of notes. And then there's the statistics that I wrote back in 2018 when I was doing the, uh, my little essay about water scarcity. So I'll start with the statistics that we have. So nearly 75% of the available surface water originates in the northern third of the state, i.e. north of Sacramento while 80% of the demand occurs in the southern two-thirds of the state. And typically during a year, about 40% of the state's total water supply comes from groundwater. During dry years, that amount increases to 60% or more of the total supply and serves as a critical buffer against the impacts of drought and climate change. Now, uh, moving water over great distances has created intense regional rivalries, as I'm going to get into um, for my, my, my take on whether or not the South really needs that much water. So water feuds historically have divided the state, the North against South, East against West, and three major stakeholders, i.e. agricultural, urban, and environmental. These three major stakeholders have you know, gone against each other over time. And intense disagreements persist over the manner in which California's water resources are developed and managed, and managed, excuse me. Another central focus in controversy is the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. And this is a major source of water for about two thirds of the state. As federal, state, and local governments and private entities have sought to make use of its resources. 
The 2009 Delta Reform Act declared that state policy towards Delta must provide a reliable water supply for California and protect, restore, and enhance the Delta ecosystem. Furthermore, the policy of the state is to reduce reliance on the Delta in meeting California's future water supply. So some agricultural issues in the conflict in the Sacramento Delta between water demands of the San Joaquin Valley in Southern California versus the water rights of local farmers and protection of endangered fish species. So I'm also, I'm gonna hop now to my essay um, after spinning some local water facts. So, Essentially, water is vital. We, you and I both know that. that. You know, without water, our society, our economic uh, structure, and our government would break down. And California is a prime example of how important water is. Because without it, the state would quite literally and figuratively dry up. And that's only if a wildfire doesn't burn the state down first. <laughs> So in water, in, or excuse me, in California, water resources support close to 40 million people and irrigate more than 5.68 million acres of farmlands. So, I mean, essentially, if without water, it would bleed our economy dry. And we need water to obviously sustain our large population of nearly 40 million people. And in my essay, and I'm kind of paraphrasing my essay as I go along, but I argue that uh, California government on the local and state level does not go far enough to protect water as a scarce resource, and the state will eventually suffer negative political consequences if it doesn't make that serious effort to preserve water. Um, and then I go on to say, like, you know, 70% of California's precipitation falls in the northern mountains, valleys, and the Sierra Nevada. Almost 80% of this water from precipitation transfers to farms and to Southern California. Keep that in mind, almost 80% of this water goes to either farms or Southern California, according to a, I believe it was a geography book. Uh, yes, it was a geography book called Regional Landscapes of the United States and Canada. And despite all of this water going to Southern California, uh, it still requires more. Um, like you have the San Joaquin Valley, um, you have the Colorado River, or excuse me, not the San Joaquin Valley, what am I saying? <laughs> what I meant to say was you have groundwater and precipitation coming in from Northern California, but you also have the, the Colorado River that is coming, um, some Los Angeles aqueducts that are needed to, to bring in water to the South and to technically all the farmland. But it's just crazy how, like, how much water is required for farmland and to go to Southern California. So that's essentially kind of what I touched on a little bit. My, in the beginning parts of my essay. And essentially one of the other reasons that we put in our notes for like why we need to have better preservation of water is because, you know, obviously the earth is heating up, so raising 
heat, which causes increased evaporation, and that continues to deplete groundwater resources and growing water shortages, especially on the Colorado River and the main external source of water for Southern California. And then climate models don't provide a consensus on the changes in precipitation that might occur in California over the 21st century. So moving forward, there may well be no significant increase or decrease in the average annual pre precipitation. Um, but the models do agree that temperatures will continue to rise and water demands to meet evaporation losses will therefore increase significantly. Finn. <laughs> All right, so essentially what you said was a bunch of water from the north goes down south and uh, so much water is lost uh, because it has to move, it has to move over infrastructure, it evaporates, and we also have wildfires every year that are only getting worse. And then mm -hmm. when it comes to the south, which is still a lot of water, uh, Southern California needs even more water because it has a massive urban area like LA, and then it also has a bunch of agriculture too, mm -hmm. okay? Is that, is that good for an Indiana hick? Yeah. That, Perfect. Okay. That was a good summary. And then if I could like hop in real quick, the, the main thing we want to get across is there is really a huge debate going on in how water should be handled in California. And there really is a huge rivalry between, you know, Southern California, Northern California, you have farmers, you have urban areas, like there's a lot going on with water and its scarcity in California. Um, when I was looking up some of this, um, a lot of these came from a study from UCLA. This is where a lot of this information came from. And they went down to the three factors that Jenny mentioned, uh, the rising heat due to climate change and the continued depletion of water, the groundwater, which is our main source of water in California, and then the Colorado River, which is a huge source of water for Southern California and for a lot of other states as well. So these all contribute to the scarcity of water. And I think this year, I when I read was that this year, January and February, were the driest they've ever experienced in history, in California's history. Mm -hmm. So it just shows that it's going to get worse. And from what they've seen, you know, California, we've been in and out of droughts for a very long time, like over a century. Um, so really, it's not about precipitation, like the amount of rain we get. I mean, it's important that we get a lot of rain. But what's really affecting us is the rising temperature, which is what causes this water to evaporate and we lose a lot of it, a lot of the water that we saved. So the main issue is the rising temperatures in across the world and in California, especially. And this just leads to, I, I mean, eventually it's going to be economic downfall for California and urban areas, agriculture, it's going to be bad eventually. I don't know where California is going to go in 50 years, but if it keeps going the way it is, it's not a very good outcome. Another thing too is like, we need to, I like, and I, I, I want to try to be fair and not biased towards Southern California because it's like, it's not like they don't need water down there, but it's like, they're taking it from so, they're taking it from like outside the California state and then they're taking it from Northern California. 
and possibly other places too that I'm not going to mention. But it's like, how much water does one area need where it's just taking from other places? Um, and in fact, also I mentioned in my essay too, there was a ninth, it was, there was a bill in 1980 that both economic and environmental interest groups uh, lobbied to destroy it. So this bill in 1980, it would have constructed a peripheral canal east of the Delta to increase the flow, the volume of flow from the Sacramento River to Southern California. Luckily, this bill was destroyed, but there's no incentive for Southern California to try to save water, I feel like. Does anyone else get that? Get that feeling they don't really have an incentive because it's like well we don't get any water down here so we're just going to take it elsewhere but like it's like how much water do you need and like farmers i get why farmers need so much water it's like not only does it feed us in california but it feeds like so many other states across the united states i forget the percentage but we California, feed a lot of people. California yeah. is massive when it comes to in, uh, agriculture. It, it is one of mm -hmm. the main staples. So if we lose that, then that is a massive part of economic activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say I, I wouldn't explicitly crap on SoCal because, like, at the same time, LA has to be like one of the biggest cities in the US, maybe like probably one of the largest in the world, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. population wise and then on top of that too we have all of this farming so but here here's the thing about it this is where i explicitly pivot to more more politically charged issues and language because as an economics enjoyer mm -hmm. i i have some bad news for you guys are, are you ready to hear it Laid on us. If you want to continue expansion, if you want to continue making stuff, then sometimes you have to go and invest in resources like your workforce and the materials you need and, and, um, and research and innovation on on the uh, on the machines you use or else you won't be able to use it as well okay so you know what that necessarily means they you have it. to spend money on stuff you have to spend money on infrastructure oh my god please not even just the and and hopefully not even just the massive trillion dollar infrastructure bills that just end up being pocketed by private construction companies. But stuff like having full uh, construction ministries in the state government to go and work with other, uh, to work with the counties to figure out how we're going to meet these ecological needs. Because yeah, without without our water, with, well, without our water in general, that that is not a pretty picture at all, and so that's why now uh, it looks even better and better that we move away from the tunnel plan and instead 
look at stuff like uh, seawater desalination, look at stuff like, uh, uh, you. well, here's an idea actually. I was looking at this while I was uh, researching for this episode uh, as, as, as you guys may have seen a few times on this show. I'm not much afraid of, of pulling examples from foreign countries on how to handle water. But essentially, I have the... <laughs> is, let me guess, is it Israel? That you're no, gonna... it's not Israel no? this time. No, although I can see they probably have some cool uh, state programs there too. But essentially, what might just need to happen is that we kind of move away from... Okay, so the, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the way that... Uh, water is regulated in California is that essentially any business or any any individual gets metered their water use so when you go and you have to pay for your utilities bill for water um, if you reach a certain amount of water usage you get uh, you have to pay more out of like the this throttled fee and so one of the major issues with that that I think I've seen the Sierra Club even comment on is that if you are a monopoly or, or, if, or any other large, uh, like a corporate farm or a uh, private utilities company that, that's uh, contracted out with the local government, you can take as many of these losses as you want because you have no competition and then you can just make back the losses and increasing the price for utilities on people because guess what who else are they going to go to for water so that uh so that's kind of how we use uh water metering in california now and i think that's how it's done I think that's how it's done in the coastal provinces in China and probably in Israel. But a wonderful idea, uh, an idea I have are two things. So for fresher water, um, what one can see is uh, going into like a full ration card system for water. So uh, I've gained an appreciation for, for planned economy stuff when I actually uh, ironically worked in a Walmart <laughs> when uh, the, the thing about organization the thing about companies like Walmart and Amazon is that these countries uh, wow that these companies uh, run entirely planned economies which is hilarious because like the, these are like the uh, the logistics departments of let's say Walmart have to go and have basically already calculated a uh, the amount of demand for whatever. And so they will literally go and they'll just have like some bean counter. Well, have a, they have a bunch of bean counters and a bunch of computers playing a simulator, essentially like a God's plan. And, and these guys will like set up like little links, almost like it's little Sim cities connected together. 
and resources will be coordinated around. Of course, there's like still, um, you're still looking at feedback and you're still looking at demand and stuff and you're still calculating what stock you have from your warehouses. But essentially, Walmart just works as a planned economy for all intents and purposes. And so uh, my idea is, you know what? Maybe the state of California can go and just like get a, a, a buy a, the logistics computers patents for like Amazon and hook that up into some new part of the uh, state water management system. And then essentially uh, all water gets used off of ration cards. So each, each industry, each business, each individual factory or municipal resource or household gets whatever amount of water rations. And then that can effectively go and run water more so based on public need so that you can then throttle water access to uh, more inefficient, uh, more inefficient, let's say companies or organizations or industries and then they can come in and reform their stuff and get more water access. Sorry, a lot of that just sounded like nonsense because I completely got that uh, out of my head after I uh, after this book I read. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? So water rations basically though, right? Like basically. I agree. I agree. Yeah. The problem with that is you can't use the word rations, right? Because everyone's going to go straight to like, oh, what communist stuff is this? Oh you know how Americans are. You know, I love how people, I love how people say, say crap like that and then go pull out money out of their FCC certified uh, banks and rely on such goods and services like social security and stuff like that. It's, look, at this point, it's not even out of an ideological concern, which of course there is an ideological concern, but like, oh my God, if we don't, if we start to understand that just putting a little plus or minus next to like how the market works, that, that doesn't change the fact that market systems inherently produce inequality. And so to a certain degree, you kind of need this water equity or else you will run out of, out of this demand for more water because people will either not have water or you'll just have insufficient water to do any economic activity and then your economy will fall apart. So, you know. This is what, just so remnant. Oh, sorry, Johnny, go ahead. What, like, essentially, if people want to, if people want to, I think the least reform necessary to go and ensure, ensure uh, water is being used more efficiently in this, in the southern part of California, is that at the very least, you, you run it the same way that the Federal Reserve is run as this little, as this little tiny group uh, of the of these big bankers who go and say okay and they go and they look to all the smaller banks and I was like okay 
I need you to stop here. I need you to stop there, expand here, expand there. Because without it, without that coordination, the entire system will crumble around it. So that, that is the least you can do for water. And the most would be, well, the most is a more radical solution. And that's just get rid of markets to handle water altogether. But that's a different story. But that is, that is an idea that's been moved around and it's been pretty successful for communities in rural China that are industrializing more and more and need to use even more water. It just makes sense to me because I feel like water and we're getting into like the fundamental basic rights of a human being, right? I feel like okay. water is just a right that every human being should have access to, right? It's, and it makes sense to ration it if we are in such such scarcity, right? And it's just funny to me how it's become political, like the mask thing, everything that seems like just logical and just like makes sense and it's beneficial well, to all becomes political. What, what I it, would say, what I would say, everything is political, but uh, what I'm saying is that not necessarily everything has to be this horrible sectarian issue where people just bite their heads off like no to a certain degree and and not even like cool sectarianism like the oh i disagree with you based on this policy of blah 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 because of whatever value i have now what i'm starting to see more is just a pardon my language but bullshit sectarianism where people, for example, like absolutely despise Biden for doing the same crap that Trump did or killing the same amount of people now more than Trump did due, due to an identical handling of COVID, except, except what? He's just a different guy that's stupid. I, I, I don't like BS uh, sectarianism, but yes, to that certain degree, um, there, there's such this rabid culture of I hate everyone individualism that is kind of killing people. And yes, we should get rid of that if it, mean, if it means we have to have a more responsible society to have at the very least the system we have now and to have it work and kind of have it struggle past major challenges in California like climate change, drought, dying infrastructure, homelessness, and stuff like that, then yeah, let's do it. I, I would much rather be inconvenienced and alive than dead and dead. So I, I, I appreciate that, Chelsea. I'm going to put in my two cents now because you both touched on like topics that I've been dying to talk about. So oh, good. That's why we do this episode every month <laughs> so that we can mull every, over everything and then have a one hour episode. Yeah. <laughs> so Chelsea, you brought up a very good point that reminded me of us, like the CEO of Nestle. And you know, Nestle, they, mm. we could do like a podcast about their atrocities of like, we, we could like formula and all we that. We could do our, maybe we can just do a whole episode in the future. And I was like, Nestle is terrible for the earth. I was going to say, what if we call out like all major companies that are just bad for the planet? We need a whole <laughs> mini series on that, dude. You don't know what that entails, man. 
Oh my God, or we can even get, um, are y'all familiar with uh, some, a lot of the controversy, uh, controversy right now in Canada with indigenous people? Yes. Yeah, let, no, let, let's okay. get something. Let's get some Native American Californians on the program. Let's get some, some Native Canadians on this program and let's have their voices be heard. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Okay, side note, I, so, yes. I'm still in the process of reading it, but there's this excellent book called An American Genocide where the author covers the history of the California Native American population and how they were just wiped out pretty much. And it's a very interesting book. Um, and I would love to participate in that conversation if we had that. Anyway, back to Nestle. So the CEO of Nestle, Peter uh, Babek Letmail, I'm sorry, I butchered his last name. He called the idea of water as a human right, quote, extreme. Even though like water is like a natural basic necessity, like that's the bare minimum of like what we need to survive as humans. So that's what that brought up when you mentioned that Chelsea, but I also wanted to touch on, and I have two things that I wanted to touch on. First of all, there is one in a section of my essay, there was this town uh, in Northern California, go figure, it's called Cape Town. And what they did was the local government implemented laws that were able to reduce the impact of the drought that they encountered. Now, this is like super controversial. And I don't know if I necessarily like all of the ideas that they proposed, but basically the town used use local and law enforcement tickets and water restriction devices to attach, like attached to the homeowners' uh, pipes and public shame in the form of showing a city map of the households who met preservation targets and those that did not to encourage water preservation. So the results were able to reduce water consumption by like extreme measures oh and God. preserve infrastructure. And again, like, I don't know if I would necessarily um, want to argue in favor of some of these ideas like like I said you know they used law enforcement tickets water restriction devices I can definitely see being okay but like literally public shame of like showing you the houses that did not meet preservation targets so I thought I'd mention that um since you were mentioning it briefly Johnny I'll also say that it created initiative for residents to cut back on water waste. And then they were worried that if they don't preserve the water, it'll result in less tourism. Mm -hmm. And then that's less taxes, that's less revenue going to Cape Town citizens. Um, and it's just overall, like, it was something that they did that worked. And I mean, I think other people should take note. I don't know if I'd if I'd go as far as to do the public shame, but that's just me. Um, another thing that you brought up, Johnny, that yes. I wanted to touch on is the desalination. So yes, please. Let me try to find this in my essay real quick. Um, so basically yeah. what 
what I think, and it sounds like they already have, especially in San Diego, but I know they demand a lot of power. Yeah. So that's a major issue with it, but Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, okay. They have stuff about desalination, but go ahead, Jenny, go ahead. Yeah, well, they've done it in Israel, and let's, like, touch on Israel real quick. they don't really have a whole lot of options in terms of fresh water especially like to the north and the south of them i mean they're kind of on their own so all they have is the mediterranean sea um and that's according to a quick google search like the mediterranean sea is the primary source of the water of like the fresh water that they get because of desalination plants um now Given desalination, it supposedly decimates ocean life, costs too much money and energy, mm-hmm. and may be eventually obsolete if you get into water recycling. But it is an option that um, it sounds like San Diego is starting to use. And I feel like more, more, I don't know. We need to like, and Again, like, you're right, Johnny. I am kind of crapping on Southern California because, like, they're taking so much water from other places. But it's it's so frustrating, like, how... It's kind of like saving the, the, uh, the Amazon. Like, you have so many yeah. interest groups, like, environmental or, like, the farmers. And there's no... There needs to be a balance. And I at feel some, like... At some point, someone gets screwed. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and I feel like we need a stronger more a stronger leadership essentially with water as well because like we can be wasteful of water and that needs to change and be better. And that needs to be aware that you know, we need to preserve water, you know, whether it's through like XYZ or I don't know, but that's just my two cents. Um, I would say, I would say, I think you would have indirectly given a wonderful endorsement of Yaft. Because yeah. <laughs> absolutely, because absolutely, like we, we can't, institutions can only go so far. And I would say that organizations like Sierra Club, Tobacco Control, the California Health Collaborative, Yaft, we are the leadership, or at least we are a part of this collective leadership. <coughs> Great, now like half the people turned off the episode now. They, they, heard, you <laughs> cough. they heard you cough, Jenny. I was like, oh God, no, <laughs> not Omicron. <laughs> I still remember back in the early days of the pandemic. And I shared this in uh, one of my teaching classes and I got a chuckle from the professor, but I remember I was on my cousin's Xbox and I was, I, I think I was like playing Minecraft online and someone sneezed in the game lobby and I legit like threw the Xbox controller and left the game because I, so, I didn't want to get COVID. <laughs> a little extreme i was just conditioned to like get away from me (laughs) you have to go to the extreme to protect yourself not my little cousin (laughs) um, but to talk about 
to talk about desalination a little yeah. more. Um, it has its problems for sure. Yeah, it, it does. does. It does, which is what I kind of want to touch on. Number one, we're putting a Band-Aid on like a stab wound with mm-hmm. all of these solutions. Let's be honest. The main problem is climate change, right? That's mm-hmm. the rising heat. That's what's causing the water loss. So I think like we need to focus on conserving water. Like remember a few years ago, Jenny, you probably remember this because you, you grew up in California, but like Johnny, I don't know if Indiana had this, but it, we had a really bad drought in like 2015 and there were signs everywhere and people's lawns looked awful and like we were conserving water to the max we need to do that all all the time we got a couple good years of rain and then all of a sudden people are back to normal being wasteful with water and it's just something that we all need to realize that we have to constantly conserve for now on until we get a handle on climate change and with desalination it's great because like you said, Jenny, like Israel, like countries like that, they have no other choices. That makes sense for them. But California, we have a lot of groundwater. And if we're able to conserve it or if we're able to build more reservoirs for rainwater collection, then we need to do that and not destroy our oceans. Because <laughs> there's only so much ocean too. Like eventually we'll run out of that and just decimate our entire planet in the process. Because the ocean's super, again, with the ocean, what it helps with is normalizing our climate. It takes a lot of the heat of the sun, and that's what keeps our climates cool. So if we use ocean water, then we're causing higher temperatures because we're depleting that water resource that helps climatize our planet. So eventually, we're going to just have higher temperatures. It's going to cause an ice age in some places. Like It's just going to make climate change severely worse. So that's the problem with, like, those sorts of solutions like we can't just completely rely on desalination water recycling though you mentioned that that is a good good one like good idea good purpose that needs more funding but again again the waste that it causes everything causes waste but you know it's just conservation that's what we need to do another thing i'm so glad that you were I'm so glad you aren't as prone as me to to self-censorship because yeah, you're right. No, I I really appreciate that. Another important thing. Yeah, you go now. Yeah. Another important thing that Chelsea touched on is groundwater and just overall, just the general message because another thing that we have to be um, aware of is fracking. And fracking, that's, you know, how we access oil from, like, groundwater sources. Well, not, like, groundwater, but, like, fracking to get at oil, basically. And that requires a lot of fresh water. Um, That requires just water in general. But fracking, it uses toxic chemicals that can cause cancer and that fracking in those chemicals, it can make its way into aquifers drinking water. So, and actually once the water is used for fracking, it generally can't be cleaned up and reused for other purposes. And that's like one of the other things that we need to be aware of too, is the use of water, like, and moving towards more not necessarily other resources, but like revolutionizing 
you know, the way that we travel. So we don't have to rely on oil and other gas stuff to get from point A to point, you know, Z uh, type thing. So fracking is just another one of those things where it's like, we need to incentivize ourselves to pursue more like greener options so we don't have to frack as much for oil and we don't have to use water to get at oil in the ground so that's my two cents hopefully that was like clarified better but um the little jenny have you ever played command and conquer no i don't think so (laughs) in one of the newer games um one of the things it's like you need all these energy hubs because it's an rts (coughs) and so um and so what you can do i think if you're playing as like one faction or the other you can just lob down a bunch of solar panels and so, at least from what I've heard from this rapper I follow called Xiangyu, now what's starting to happen in countries like North Korea that have very, that are very limited when it comes to oil and natural gas resources, is that they've they've just spammed solar panels and windmills everywhere. And I'm not saying that's ideal, but not gonna lie. If we seriously want to talk about pursuing greener options, uh, putting down windmills like we're embargoed by the entire world might just have to be the option we take or else we won't have much of a planet anymore. Windmills are dope. <laughs> oh, well, windmills and solar panels. Whole cities need to be run on that. Like, why doesn't the government put more money into that? It doesn't make sense. Because then it costs private interest holders more money out of opportunity costs. (laughs) There actually like this article from The Economist that said that, uh, so basically how financing on uh, uh, infrastructure projects, how that happens is that the federal government will put some money in the pot, but um, there aren't many like state-owned construction companies. So everything needs to be contracted out. And so many contractors have just abstained entirely from taking bids because solar panels are so good at capturing energy that you can't monopolize it. You, You can't like, make that a stable income if you are trying to use that if if you're using that in the traditional uh capitalist uh industry model so instead maybe it really just has to be a public resource that is used and and indirectly benefits the community and is indirectly paid for by the community that that is very much an option and now I think my FBI, uh, I, I think my FBI agent is on his lunch break, so I'm going to talk <laughs> about uh, some other ideas uh, talking about water. So, uh, as you guys know, I live in San Francisco. It's a beautiful place. Um, I'm already in debt trying to pay my rent, even though all of my tuition subsidized by the state, <laughs> and because. Uh, 
that's San Francisco. Um, uh, there are movements in town already to go and we'll do a number of things. Do you want to hear about the golf, golf courses first or how San Francisco handles garbage? You were pretty passionate about the uh, golf courses and golf courses. Oh my god! Okay, <clears throat> very little action has been made on this because the city government is very, very hostile at times toward um, toward a lot of the organized communities in Sunset District, uh, the Mission, and Tenderloin, but. Basically, I, li uh, I live at the dorms at San Francisco State University. To my east is the, uh, I think like a San Diego Reservoir or something. That's the name of it. And I think half of that entire area is not, it, it's, a, uh, it's a golf course. And that's not like a mile, I would say, no, that's about one, one to two square miles of golf course, right next to a university, right next to housing, right next to all of this, that I don't, I don't even think it's a public golf course too. I think it's, I think it's like privately maintained. And so, you know what, it would be not, I would not enjoy if I was a person who owned a, who, who was wealthy enough to golf at one of these golfing courses. That being said, oh my God, think of the absolute, think of the absolute benefit uh, that would be to the local ecology and to the community if this golf course were to not be artificially irrigated, but you return, let's say half of it to nature, and then the other half is like some public park or something. That would be a massive boost. Well, I would say that would be a pretty decent boost to economic activity, and then you'd have to worry less about the very real uh, uh, destruction of wildlife in the community. Will there be the issue of having to like pick up like drugs and stuff on the ground because it's right next to a college and college students are stupid? Yes, but have you considered how much water it takes to irrigate an entire uh, golf course? Oh my God. Like have golf they looked, courses, have they golf, looked golf into fake grass? <laughs> are ecocidal. No, the, I think it's all natural grass. They just eat fake grass, guys. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, yeah, why do you need real grass? I know there's going to be a lot of golfers coming at us now. <laughs> I, I think yeah. there is a reason for using real grass. And what's sure. really enough is there's, like, different types of grasses that they use. Like, I was watching this murder documentary. and they were, <laughs> it, Yeah, I know. This is going to take a leap, guys. But I was watching this murder documentary. And the reason why they found the killer is because he had... The type of grass that the golf course used um and it was a very unique type of grass in this on this golf course in like hawaii i think it was so 
I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure why they use real grass, but I mean, I think there's a reason. <laughs> there's got to be like a solution, like something they could do. Grass that doesn't take as much water. Like Johnny, you're right. Like what a waste of water. I, I'm no offense to all the golfers in the world, but yeah. and then but, like yeah. on top of that, like golfers, I we might have to cut this part out, but they're predominantly wealthy white individuals. Why should they? <laughs> Why should they have such a a overwhelming say in how these natural resources are being managed? Yeah, no, we won't cut that out. But if you got to say half of what you said, like I I think I think I think we're we're gonna be fine. But but yeah, like it would be cool if everyone could like golf or even like these few people who I'm sure spent a, a lot of money having like buying out and maintaining two square miles of golf course in one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world. But, oh my God, when push comes to shove and we're dealing with an ecological crisis and we're dealing with the health and well-being of our planet and our community, resources need to be shifted i almost wonder and like i'm not sure if this would like work out but i almost wonder if they could have like off-season months where they don't try to do anything with the grass to like help preserve water and then like during the summertime for example like they have like their on season where like they do take care of the grass and i don't know i don't know how that would work but it's like yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that would be good. That would make sense, right? I, Although I know most California golf courses are year round, but maybe they need to switch that. Maybe they do need to have an off season. Yeah, maybe. But I know like the golf court, well, the country clubs is what they call them that have golf courses in like El Dorado County. I know one place they have like a membership fee of like $30,000 a year just to be a member there and just to golf which is like insane. I don't know if that has anything to do with water rights, but I just wanted to put that in, that it is like mainly private wealthy individuals who right. partake in this, so. And and here's the wonderful <laughs> thing about it, uh, like talking about these reforms and changes, because wasn't it the Davos Forum, like like this meeting of like the wealthiest people in the world who basically said, look, we volunteer to pay more taxes. Please tax us and put these in social programs. The amount of inequality is really, really scary. And if you don't make little gradual steps now, we will be beheaded. And you know what? Like, I don't know. At this rate, like, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more neutral on the idea of, of rolling up listening to to guillotine by death grips and and you know just uh enjoying some of that wealth redistribution but holy cow that's very drastic and and if we want to make a a more gradual reform then by all means i think i think the wealthier parts of society will consent to that if it means that uh the country doesn't collapse and we go into a, a civil war so yeah you know politely surrender your golf courses or you will surrender your life 
that, that, is, that is kind of what, that's kind of what the, the general vibe is. And it's not me saying this. It is not me at all for legal reasons. It is not me saying this, but a society that, that is unable to oil the gears of it, oil the gears of all the tiny people that make this world run, they start to get very mad and then the machine breaks and then they make a new machine without you. So, so yeah, th this is the same talk that people had nearly a hundred years ago um, in light of uh, the terrible inequality uh, that ended up really showing its ugly face during and after World War I. And so unless we want a, uh, unless we want another roaring 20s and, and turbulent 30s, and uh, we know how the 30s and 40s worked out, then uh, we absolutely have to look at these very real reforms or else, yeah, um, or else it will be go your golf course or your life. That reminds me briefly of the uh, crisis that's happening in Ukraine right now with like- Oh boy. Yeah, we could do like an entire podcast. Oh God. I, yeah, I, World I, War III is happening pretty soon. Uh, Stay tuned guys. Wonder what we're gonna get drafted, you know? When is that gonna happen? Johnny will get drafted and you two will be fine. <laughs> oh my God. We'll, we'll wave bye to you, Johnny. Okay. Oh no, this oh. is the one equality women are gonna get. You know, we can't have equality in pay, but they're gonna make sure we get drafted just to see. <laughs> Oh watch well, well there'll be like little bomber planes over uh magnetogorsk with like blm and a pride flag on it as it like bombs civilian targets do you know how angry that would make Putin if like they just saw a plane like decimate their army and like on the back of it is like a pride flag <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a bit more concerned about the, inno the, the innocent civilian gay people that will kill. So I don't know about that. Yeah, no. But, I, uh, but no, I have I have very spicy opinions on on all of that too, because uh, I have family who come from uh from from what we now call Ukraine and and since they are Jews, they don't exactly uh, have a great fondness for a uh, Ukrainian government that actively works with neo-Nazis to uh, fulfill NATO foreign policy goals. So yeah, but that, that's just me. And we are going to move along to another actually really interesting point. So in San Francisco, uh, the organization that's contracted out to handle garbage is this cooperative is this worker-owned cooperative called Recology. And like let me for y'all at home, let me get my face closer to the camera so it looks like I'm whispering. For those unversed, I'm a bit of a fan of Richard Wolf. I'm a bit of a fan of cooperative economics. For goodness sakes, I'm dating an econ major, okay? I'm a bit of a fan. Fanboy, you mean? <laughs> I'm, a, 
I am a cooperatives enthusiast. And so, yeah, Recology is a cooperative. And so what happens is uh, it was fun seeing this difference in uh, municipals uh, when I visited my family in Indiana over the winter. So my hometown in Indiana, uh, their, uh, their deal with this private trash company fell through because the company got into so much debt and then the city refused to bail them out. And so like the whole time I was back in Indiana, we had like trash piling up and stuff. And then compare that to San Francisco and Recology. And because essentially from what I've seen and from what I've read, I've only lived in San Francisco for a year, but Recology really doesn't fall into many of the issues that like a, a public, well, not a public, but a, a, it essentially works like a public institution. Uh, that it, that one would normally fall into. So wages are much better for what's considered a private industry. Because again, like any cooperatives, the workers vote for their bosses. So you just have wages that are throttled that lead to more and more excess money being filtered into uh, into investments on more efficient and greener technology, plus more community benefits. So the workers there are treated really well. They, this money is being funneled back into the community out of the excess that they have. And in general, uh, any like labor disputes in the company are resolved internally, because guess what? The trash people, are the trash lords. They own the means of, of trash recycling, okay? It's like that It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, quote, I'm the trash man, I throw the garbage. It's like that. And, but because of that, uh, there, there are very, there are so many benefits that San Francisco gets from having Recology as a contractor that if it were to be taken up by a public institution, that would have to work really hard to capture uh, the, the internal democracy of Recology. But what that makes me realize is that in many ways, we any city, as long as there's enough public pressure behind it, as long as there's enough young people looking at, you know what? I, yeah, I want to be a public engineer. I want to be the trash co-op man. I want to be the poo water cooperative man. I want to make de decent money and help my community through managing the poo water. Then like you can do this and it can happen and it can be wonderful. So straight up, I was just looking into uh, how Recology handles its resources, how in general uh, sewage collectives work, because I think this is a really good way that uh, dirty water, that wastewater can be used, is that um, in countries like China and India, 
uh, wastewater is often used as organic fertilizer. So it's like, oh my God, this can kill two birds with one stone. Um, essentially, in the same way that maybe the, the city government already coordinates with, uh, with local landlords and with construction companies to shoot down any public housing expansions, what I can definitely see is organizations like Sierra Club and uh, the tenants union that I'm a part of going and getting a, uh, a wastewater uh, cooperative to go and manage all the wastewater in the city and then team up with just some, some uh, fertilizer plant in, in the general county. And then through that, you can end up making a massive fertilizer factory that employs a bunch of people and all runs on the doo-doo feces of San Francisco. And that can actually go and be a more so organic uh, fertilizer than some of the really gross stuff we're putting in our plants now. So th this is a random thought I had after linking three things together. Uh, how does that sound as a proposed solution? Do I need to like go up to the Sierra Club, uh, the, the higher ups? And it's like, please, the poo plan, please. It's a catchy name. <laughs> Thank you, I try. I mean, I think, I think the main thing is that we have to learn how to use everything. So I definitely feel like that if it works it works you know it's not the prettiest thing but it'll do it'll do and it's getting rid of our waste at the same time i i love again i'm a midwesterner so like maybe i just have this odd fondness for it but i i don't know i just i like these really weird ideas like bringing primary industry back to a place i don't know maybe it's just me but like stuff you need like metal works or like fertilizers I think if we can make it here if we can do some of that economic nationalism I'd love that 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 helps people here it, that helps people here uh, maybe well it's more expensive for uh transnational corporations but I don't know I think they'll just have to lose in this battle uh, to make that a reality for uh, the vast majority of Californians. Something else we should probably touch on before um, this podcast ends is like how much water is required to join uh, to join <laughs> to grow tobacco, um, and like how bad growing tobacco is for our environment and just like cigarettes in general, like. You know, when you grow tobacco, there's, you need pesticides for it, you need fertilizers, and that can pollute rivers and groundwater. And then cigarettes, obviously we know how harmful that is. Like it contains nicotine, heavy metals, and other toxins. And like after you smoke a cigarette, that just ends up in the trash. Or after you use a vape pod, that ends up in the trash. And that like, requires that's just so wasteful and some of that trash will end up in fresh water and pollute it so 
in yeah, regards but- to agriculture, I mean, tobacco, we can't eat it, right? <laughs> it doesn't like give us any nutritional value. So why are we wasting water on that sort of ag? Exactly. Well, you know what? Since, since, since <laughs> Madam President Chelsea has gone and impressed herself as the, as the vanguard of not self-censorship, uh, I think I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it again, guys, but I really like the idea of uh, like how France has done it and just like nationalizing the tobacco industry. Like, like, of course, you need to reach a new settlement with uh, smaller farmers uh, who farm tobacco. And of course, you absolutely need to reach a much more better settlement with uh, the farm workers who run corporate tobacco farms. But yes, absolutely. To, to a certain point to reach that social need and this social need being uh, an absolute end to tobacco advertising, a, uh, the freeing up of resources to ensure that uh, communities can have safe and healthy food and uh, to ensure that people live on a healthy planet, you know? Maybe the gamers need to rise up and, and seize the tobacco factories to then to then go and uh, then coordinate that with the government on whatever level to then just kind of have tobacco be managed by the whole of the US. And so that way we can just whatever we'll, we'll that will end the obnoxious tobacco advertising. We'll, we'll just get it done and out of our way. If you still have a to smoke if you still want to smoke fine, it'll be there but I think maybe it just has to be a public utility now because I, I, I'm tired of how private industries have handled it. All right, awkward silence, let's go. I'll just edit that out at the end of the video. So- uh, I was actually like copying and pasting uh, our little outro thing. So that's oh, why I, I didn't say okay. <laughs> I was so, busy. <laughs> I guess while we're talking about- I was Spotify, waiting for Jenny. <laughs> I was doing something else. Um, I guess while we're talking about fires, well, while we're talking about water, I think there are two more issues we can kind of connect. Uh, now that we have this groundwork and understanding water in California, um, we can really connect that to two other issues. So, so, you guys might not know about this, okay? But California suffers a lot from fires. I know it's crazy, bro. No. This is the first I'm hearing about this. I know. I'm sorry, I got notifications popping up. I, I'm a bad co-facilitator, I'm sorry. But essentially because we have all these fires that puts another uh that's another area where water has to be allocated to go and and deal with all these fires and then it's this massive destruction of infrastructure we have to move around water right 
So like, this is just gonna sound redundant, but yeah, the best thing we have to do is uh, work more with uh, community organizations like Sierra Club and, and other friends of the environment to go and put more limits. I wouldn't even say put more limits, but uh, look at further responsibility with uh, how private industries and, and all of our other necessary economic activity interacts with nature. So that uh, one major part I know I helped with when I lived in NorCal was the uh, brush clearings. So uh, uh, clearing brush and, and just general tree refuse from the bottoms of trees was a policy that, that the original stewards of, of the land of California were great at doing, they had no issue with. And then a little something called the genocide order happened in California. And then in general, the, the ongoing brutal, uh, the ongoing suppression of, of native people uh, has made it so that this kind of policy of removing and burning small brush, uh, especially NorCal, was not a policy carried over by the white people and then later all the other people who would come in. So, uh, yeah, at least when it comes to that, I think organizations like YAFT and like, uh, and like Sierra Club should absolutely continue in doing brush clearing and being aware and even I guess studying more scientifically uh, native uh, land use practices, so that like the they they've got like at least three thousand years of experience at this. Um, of course, a lot of this has to be done at a lot lower level, and that's wonderful because that's when we can get grassroots people like you or me to go and handle that issue in their community. But. Uh, but yeah, just in general, better uh, stewardship of the land is what deals is what helps reduce wildfires much more. And on top of that, um, from a purely econ enjoyer perspective, um, any program that gets people working and has like some economic function, like. I'm, I'm for that, that I'm Keynesian economics has never been the best policy in the world, but that is, that is the best possible band-aid for right now. And that is the band-aid that won't get me blacklisted by the, <laughs> by the federal communications commission. So, uh, most of Build Back Better has already been scrapped, but um, I think it'd be amazing going forward that California looks at uh, expanding uh, woodland management areas and expanding uh, any general resources necessary so that uh, we have roads that have a bit of a better cordon with the wilderness. And on top of that, just having more efficient and ecologically friendly infrastructure so that we lose less water and vice versa. 
a fire can be isolated a lot easier so that we get to use less and less water. So yeah, that that's do the do the California people have any comments on that? <laughs> I learned a lot of it from um from a firefighter who was actually running for mayor that I campaigned for when I lived in uh when I lived in Tuolumne County. But like what what are what are some of your insights into water management and how this goes into fire management politics? Well, I definitely think there's like an interconnectedness. But I was saying earlier, you know, climate change, right? That's the reason why we're having worse and more fires. So, but like you said, Johnny, we do need some band-aids to handle it for right now until we can get a hold and handle on climate change if we're able ever able to. But I like your idea of really asking the native people of California, you know, their perspectives on how to handle these situations right because like you said they've lived here thousands of years they've got time on us for sure and i think maybe even hiring consultants from uh native tribes and asking you know their opinion on how to putting them in more positions of power really and how to manage areas that are risk have uh, high risk for fires and even water conservation i think would be really good in putting you know, people of different tribes in California in charge in positions of power, I think would be good for handling this. To, to interrupt, to interject rather, I wouldn't even say diversity for diversity's sake, but um, like I used to live near Chicken Ranch. So like the, the, the native people who live in or around there, and it's not everyone who's at Chicken Ranch, because the reservation systems have, have really just kind of worked as these big concentration centers that from a bunch of different people. But honestly, like, no, get, get, the, get the Miwoks on it. Get them, get whatever expertise you need and get them to be fellow stewards in how these resources are managed at any level where there's Miwok people. Same for any other uh, native nationality here. And in that case, then they, they almost, there's this better understanding already because of indigeneity. And on top of that too, um, a focus foremost on not just inclusion for inclusion's sake, but inclusion because we need to return to a better relationship with uh, California's natural metabolism. That, that is something we have to do, because frankly, the, this isn't very sustainable. Like, like what we have now, it's kind of crumbling around us. So like I said earlier, either compromise on your golf courses now or lose your head. But at the end of the day, you, you really can't have both. Yeah, everything with politics, it's all about compromise. Well, yeah, I, I, and I can say that from, a, from a, a more ideological perspective, too. Uh, to, to quote Vladimir Lenin, uh, the history of, of 
politics is hoes mad. And hoes <laughs> mad when hoes do something. And they'll be mad when they don't do something. But they'll just be mad in general because of a number of conflicts that come from the different relationships with production and with the world we have. And so there are going to be losers in general. However, as, as time progresses, it ultimately errs on the side of, of progress because eventually when it comes down to it, you can't really maintain extremely hierarchical or extremely unequal societies if the people who make these societies run just up and quit. And eventually, as is a tendency with industrialization, is that these people will just organize a lot better and they'll become more and more deprived as, as they suffer the foremost of the horribleness of a dying planet or of a, of a pandemic that is being treated negligently. And they will get so upset that either gradual changes will be made in their favor or they'll literally just behead you and then make these changes themselves. So yes, again, that, that is the constant issue of reform or revolution that, that is, is still a dividing line and still one that I certainly won't speak to because I like having a job and I like uh, getting federal funds for my education, but that is still a dynamic that must be held. You must at least interact with it and have an opinion on it to move forward or else people will abuse that. So yeah. Okay, so here's another point too. So the Delta tunnels. Uh, I know that Sierra Club has been talking a lot about this. Do we want to go into this briefly or, or do we think that we have like an hour and a half of content so we can, we can kind of roll it back? I'm like tired after today, so I'd like to roll it back. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, Chelsea King, do you have any kind of closing comments? And then Jenny, you can read the outro. Okay. Okay. Closing comments would be, you know, we got to conserve. We have to conserve, guys. It's, there's so many solutions and we have to look into policy. You know, that's where it's at. That's where we get effective change. So if you are a concerned citizen, look into policies, you know, try to conserve water yourself. You may think, oh, I'm just one person, but one person can make all the difference in the long run. So Conserve that water. Make your yards look awful. It's okay. It's show how much you support life by making your yard look crappy. But it's it doesn't okay. even, I'm going to jump into this. This was just going to be your bit, but it doesn't even have to be crappy. Grow tomatoes, man. Yeah. If you live in California, grow marijuana, man. <laughs> Gross or put in cactuses, succulents, something that doesn't need water. <laughs> Make it like a desert garden. You've got options. Just conserve that water. Be a steward to this world. Yes. <laughs> Make it work. Make All right. Yeah. Work. Word. <laughs>
Okay, Jenny, you got this now. Okay. Thank you for listening to our Jen Green podcast, powered by Yaft. Also, we have some social media on Facebook and Instagram. Connect with us there for more updates and other show-related media. Also, Yaft is recruiting. Contact us at our email about joining via yaft at healthcollaborative.org. Again, that's yaft, Y-A-F-T, at healthcollaborative.org.